thank you so much uh, for being here. Yeah, not quite 80. Um, on my way, though. And um, for those of you who may be TiVoing the USC-UCLA game, I will not give score updates, just in case. Um, but we're here to talk about uh, a wonderful opera this evening uh, from a composer who left us too young. Uh, Daniel Catan uh, is his name, and he was born in 1949 in Mexico City. He uh, died in 2011 in Austin, Texas, and he lived for a time in our midst in South Pasadena. He was the first Mexican composer to have an opera produced in the United States. That was Rappuccini's Daughter down at San Diego Opera in 1994. And the next opera that he wrote after that one was the one you're going to hear tonight, Florencia and El Amazonas. And that was the first Spanish-language opera to be commissioned by major American opera companies. And that came in 1996, and LA Opera was one of the co-commissioners of this opera, along with Houston Grand Opera and Seattle Opera. Our conductor tonight is with us in the building and has graciously agreed to uh, speak with us a little bit about this opera, and um, he knew Danielle quite well, and uh, I'd like to invite Grant Gershon to uh, take the stage now. Thanks, Brian. Thanks Thank you so much. So you conducted the world premiere of Danielle's final opera, Il Postino, here That's a couple right. of years ago. Right, right. And Daniel, I, I'm sure that, um, that some of you probably knew Daniel. Um, he was an incredibly warm human being, and that warmth, I think, really comes through in his music. And I'll say as well about Daniel that he was, I've worked with a lot of composers, and uh, Lord love them, they tend to be control freaks. Um, and uh, they, they tend to get very persnickety about their music for obvious reasons maybe, but Daniel was, um, was somewhat the opposite. Daniel really wanted the musicians who were involved in a project with him to find the music together in real time. And so rehearsing with Daniel was an absolute joy. We felt very free when we were working on Il Postino to, to try things, to try different tempos, to try different, um, uh, different interpretations of the of the characters and different approaches to the to the pacing of the scene, and uh, and he was very very welcoming of that. And I found that working on Florencia now that that really informed for all of us in the in the cast and in the orchestra in the chorus our approach, which was again to find the immediacy of this music and to make sure that it that it speaks to all of us the way that we want it to speak to the audience. He had a real gift for writing opera. I mean, he wrote chamber music and orchestral music and songs as well, but um, he had a, a special affinity for opera, didn't he? Yeah, he had such a wonderful feel for the voice. Um, and I'm sure if you talk to any of the cast members, they would, they would heartily agree that uh, he has a, a, a great lyrical gift. And, uh, and he's also very, very good at delineating character through the vocal writing, which, of course, is the hallmark of any great opera composer. And he, he's such a great dramatist, too, the, crafting these stories. And, and his final operas, he wrote the libretti himself. Um, Florencia, he did not. But um, there's such a care for his characters uh, in his writing, isn't there? Yeah, there really is. And uh, uh, it, it goes all the way to the, uh, to the orchestration as well, that, uh, that there are characteristic 
sounds that are associated with, with certain of the characters in the piece and certain situations, and certainly with the, with the, um, the feeling of the river and of the Amazon jungle. And so, for instance, he uses uh, various percussion instruments, the marimba very actively, uh, the steel drum, uh, South American percussion like the djembe. Um, and he also uses the woodwinds to imitate birdsong. And this happens at several key points in the opera and in some of the transitional music between scenes as well, which I have to confess is, is some of my favorite music in the opera. Um, uh, the, almost every scene has a postlude or a prelude leading into the next scene that really gives us so much information about what we've just experienced and what the characters are going through. So the result of this exotic orchestration, extra percussion instruments from the Amazon region, um, and the, the incredible vocal writing from Daniel Catan, the result ends up being awfully ravishing, doesn't it? It is. I mean, I think this is, this is such a magical score. And, and of course, it, many people have talked about the romanticism of the piece as well, which, of course, it, it'd be hard not to have that given the nature of the, of the story, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but, uh, but also, I think because the, the main character, Florencia Grimaldi, is this mythical opera singer from the turn of the last century. And if you think about the kinds of roles that she would have sung in her alleged career. I say that because she's not a, this is not based on a real character. Um, but, uh, but she would have sung Butterfly and, and Tosca and all of the great Puccini roles. And so that actually informs a lot of the music in the opera as well. Without literally quoting any of those pieces, certainly that music really in, informs the writing. Yeah. A little bit later on, we'll sample some of these um, moments of bliss uh, that we encounter all throughout this score. But you know, on the podium, as a conductor, how do you sort of manage the bliss? Um, because there's so many moments. I would think you would be tempted to just like <laughs> well, just let them go. You, you know, know it, really is, it really is true that this music has so many surges and, and so many climaxes um, of, of emotional intensity. I'll confess that in our very first music rehearsal, uh, a piano rehearsal about three weeks ago when we got together with the cast, uh, I think I milked every single one of those, something like 58 different times that we had arrived. So I thought, well, actually, we should probably uh, uh, prioritize here a little bit and, um, and figure out really what, what is the best way to pace the piece and where are those points of arrival that are critically important to the story and to the musical structure. And so it's been really fun in the rehearsals to find that shape together with the cast and, and with the orchestra. I still think that would be like a, a challenge to sort of control those moments because you do want to let the music be what it is. On the other hand, there's that there's the balance, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's very much like doing a Mahler symphony. Uh, famously, um, these kind of pieces, again, have very many big, huge moments and, and climaxes. Um, and so keeping your eye on the prize is really important. And it's, it's interesting, too, because it isn't so much a matter of tamping down uh, because the, 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 you know, the maybe less critical moments, because you want everything to have this white-hot intensity, but it's making sure that when 
when one of the really major moments is coming, that you really pace that and, and build the tension so that, so that when it releases, it's that incredibly satisfying feeling for audience and performers alike. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you'll feel that once or twice in the, in the show tonight. Um, we're talking about the language that this opera is in. 1996, and I can't believe that that was the first Spanish language opera to be commissioned here in the United that States. That really is pretty shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting with the cast that, uh, that we've assembled for this performance tonight. Five of the seven cast members are native Spanish speakers uh, from Spain, from uh, Cuba, Argentina, um, uh, the, um, Chile, of course, Veronica Villarroel, and, uh, um, and actually Australia. Uh, interestingly enough, Jose Carbo, who plays the role of Rio Lobo, uh, his family immigrated from Argentina to Australia, and so uh, with a name like Jose Carbo, you're not expecting, you know, throw another shrimp on the barbie, but <laughs> that's kind of what you get. Uh, but it's interesting because all of these singers are having this wonderful experience with the piece because uh, all of them ha um, rarely are able to actually sing in their native language. They're mainly singing, of course, in their operatic careers, in Italian, in French, in German, occasionally in English. And so I think for all of the cast members to sing in Spanish is very meaningful and to sing such beautiful poetry as in Florencia as well. Yeah. Italian is close, but, um, but Spanish, a good language to sing in? Oh, it's the best, yeah. I think. It's, it's, um, uh, of course, it has the vowels that are similar to Italian, uh, but it has this characteristic rhythm uh, that, again, uh, Daniel Catan has such a flair for, for setting, and I think that it's one of the, the special joys of working on this piece. Well, thank you so much for taking a few minutes for us this evening. Hey, Brian, absolutely. You've got other things to do tonight, so... I'll, I'll touch base with the cast and maybe wave my arms a little bit, so... <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Cheers. You'll see his arms and the top of his head a little bit later on. About the story, Florencia and El Amazonas. Uh, the opera begins on board and takes place completely on board the El Dorado, which is a steamship sailing down the Amazon River on its way to Manaus, which is the capital city of the state of Amazonas in northern Brazil. The first voice we hear is Rio Lobo, who is a character that we will later discover is the source for some of the magical realism of Gabriel Garcia Marquez in this story. Um, he acts as a narrator to tell us of Florencia Grimaldi, the legendary opera diva who will soon reopen the opera house in Manaus. Now, this is a real place. There is an opera house in the city of Manaus, and it's called the Amazon Theater. It was built, well, construction started in 1884 in the midst of the Amazon rubber boom. Uh, many people living in the Amazonian basin at that time were making fortunes from the extraction and commercialization of rubber, and they spared no expense building this theater. Everything was imported from Europe. They brought in the roof from Alsace, furniture came from Paris, marble from Italy, steel from England. On the outside of the building, there was a big dome 
and they covered it with 36,000 decorated ceramic tiles painted in the colors of the Brazilian national flag. Construction took a dozen years, and the theater was finally opened on New Year's Eve, 1896, and the first performance there featured a tenor whose name you probably know pretty well, Enrico Caruso. Well, that was a nice beginning for this theater, but things did not last. Uh, with the invention of synthetic rubber in 1909, Manaus lost its main source of income, the wealthy left town, and the opera house closed down. Absolutely nothing happened in the opera house until 1982, when director Werner Herzog used it as a shooting location for his film Fitzcarraldo. No performances there, just the film shoot. No performances there for 90 years. The opera house was dark in 1996 when this opera was written. But then in 2001, a new populist government came to power and the province decided that the city needed high-quality operas, orchestras, and ballet performances. And so they allocated funds to pay good wages to musicians and hired a bunch of musicians, primarily from Eastern Europe, to come and reopen the house. The theater did reopen, and it is now the home of the Amazonas Philharmonic Orchestra, as well as an annual film festival. So, that's where we're heading on this boat to this opera house. 700 seats, small house. We're headed to the big reopening party for the house where Florencia Grimaldi will be singing. She is traveling on the boat, but she is in disguise because she's so famous she does not want to be recognized. In addition to her pending performance, Florencia is also on a mission. She is in search of Cristobal, a butterfly hunter who has disappeared into the jungle in search of the world's rarest butterfly, the Emerald Muse. Cristobal and Florencia had once been lovers. His passion brought her voice to life and gave rise to her success as a singer. But she had left Brazil for international stages in Europe and beyond and hadn't seen Cristobal for 20 years. Here's Florencia telling her story. And like Mimi in La Boheme, Florencia begins by introducing herself.
So as you can hear, it takes quite a soprano uh, for this role. And uh, there are moments like this one throughout the opera, big, big soprano role, uh, Florencia. And here, in phrase after phrase, she's pouring out her regrets. She's saying, Cristobal, who taught her body how to feel passion, who shaped her soul within his hands, Cristobal, who offered his life, all this she scorned to earn the adoration of the world. She sings, this fame was my very disaster. It destroyed my soul. So she is returning to Manaus, to her roots, to transform back to her original self and hopefully find Cristobal. Other characters, we have Rosalba, a young writer who is working on a biography of Florencia. She's hoping to interview the diva upon their arrival in Manaus, but she accidentally drops her notebook with all of her research and writings so far into the river. Arcadio, the captain's nephew, dives in and retrieves the notebook. Rosalba and Arcadio will eventually become our young lovers. We also have a middle-aged couple that cannot stop bickering, no matter what. That would be Paola and Alvaro. They're hoping that Florencia's performance, her singing, will help rekindle their romance. They fight a lot in this opera. They, at one point, drop their wedding rings into a bottle of champagne, and the bottle of champagne with the wedding rings becomes the second thing of value that gets tossed overboard. Well, after that happens, the next morning, the captain speaks with Florencia, suggests that, you know, no one has seen Cristobal in quite a while, and there is a possibility that Cristobal has died in the jungle searching for the Emerald Muse. And when Florencia hears this, she faints. On deck, Rosalba and Arcadio, the young couple, and Paola and Alvaro, the old fighting married couple, are playing cards together. Paola and Alvaro are fighting. Rosalba and Arcadio are beginning to realize they might like each other as more than just friends. And our composer, Daniel Catan, turns this moment into a very cool double duet. It starts out with the card game as kind of a, a waltz, but as the arguing of Paula and Alvaro and the flirting of Rosalba and Arcadio become more intense, the European waltz becomes something with a bit more of a Latin flavor. <laughs>
So it turns from not quite a waltz to not quite a tango, but there is that shift from the, the European waltz to something a little more Latin in flavor. Well, later in the day, a storm comes, as you would expect of an opera that takes place on a boat. And the interesting thing about this storm is that the rain that is falling is not clear water. It is pink, or in some productions, it's red. Rio Lobo calls on the gods of the river, do not destroy the world. In all of the commotion, the captain is injured. Alvaro falls overboard. Arcadio takes the helm of the ship, and the ship runs aground. And that's where we are left at the end of Act One. Act Two begins with a brief orchestral prelude that reinforces the bleak hopelessness of our situation. It's actually really beautiful orchestral writing, isn't it? And a lot of uh, writers about the music of Daniel Catan have noted the influence of Debussy and Ravel in his orchestrations, um, and I would have to agree with them on that. Um, after this orchestral prelude, we hear Florencia beginning act two. She declares that she will search for Cristobal for the rest of her life. Rosalba and Arcadio decide they must avoid the trap of love and instead should pursue their separate dreams alone, not with one another. And that decision moment actually becomes a gorgeous duet, not really a love duet, more of a let's try not to fall in love duet.
again, that's let's go our separate ways music, not let's fall in love. And at this point in the opera, you'll probably be sitting there in your seat wanting to stand up and, and yell at them, no, 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 you're making the same mistake that Florencia made at the beginning, but might not want to stand up and yell. So Paula then is searching unsuccessfully for Alvaro. Remember, at the end of Act One, he fell overboard. She uh, is calling to him, I want to save our love. This is the couple that kept fighting. I want to save our love, to be by your side forever. Finally, she sees Alvaro's body floating in the river and begins to mourn his death. But suddenly, Alvaro wakes up, telling everyone that a voice called him back from death. It came out of love, he says. Rosalba finds her notebook, which has been ruined by the storm. She explains to Florencia, who is still traveling incognito, that she's writing a book on this great opera diva, Florencia. Maybe you've heard of her. The diva challenges Rosalba's interpretation of her as a free woman, insisting that her voice was born from her love for Cristobal. And that's the moment where Rosalba finally recognizes Florencia. Florencia then decides to give Rosalba some relationship advice of her own, saying, don't make the same mistakes that I've made. And just as things are starting to resolve, Rosalba and Arcadio getting back together, Paolo and Alvaro, things are great, they're not fighting anymore, maybe Florencia is going to find Cristobal after all, then, disaster. As the ship nears Manaus, the passengers start to see coffins floating in the water. And the realization is that there is a cholera epidemic in the town of Manaus, and they will not be allowed to leave the ship. Florencia sends her song out toward her lover Cristobal, singing, I know that you hear me in life or in death, if you were not listening, my song would cease. It's a beautiful final scene. It's one that reminds us a little bit of the final scene of Tristan und Isolde by Wagner. And this is, in a way, like Florencia's Liebestod. This is a moment of mystical transformation.
save the end for the performance. But it's stunning, stunning music. And as Maestro Gershon was saying, five of the seven principal cast members um, are native Spanish speakers. This opera is sung in Spanish and uh, was the first opera to be commissioned in the United States by major um, opera companies in the language of Spanish. So there's something really special, I think, about uh, being able to hear singers singing in their native language and having it be a native language that they don't often get to sing in themselves. And so they're really excited about this production. Um, really great singers, and I know you are in for a special treat this evening. Again, if you have never heard the music of Daniel Catan, this is a perfect introduction to his style. Um, the word that I keep coming back to when I talk about this opera and the music that Catan has written is ravishing. The orchestration is so lush and beautiful. The vocal writing belongs in the same class as Puccini's vocal writing. This work, I believe, is, is truly an operatic masterpiece, and I really hope you enjoy the performance tonight. Thank you for being here. Enjoy Daniel Catan's Florencia and El Amazonas.